God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the amazing Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well, but you know, I'm I'm thinking that there are some letters that are starting to feel a little neglected. Oh, do I need to in, go find uh, some? In your adjectival descriptions okay. of me. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll have to think of something. I'll have to think of something. Um. Yeah, it's it's so I am here in self quarantine. I am recording from a bunker in uh, the middle of a wasteland self quarantine. Now I'm hanging out with my family, and um, it's it's great. But this is like day four, day five for me of self quarantine. It's a not not a most fun thing in the world. No, well, if it's any consolation, so as I mentioned that you know my daughter and her husband live in China, in Suzhou, which is about 100 miles, roughly 100 miles outside of Shanghai. And so, you know, they're teachers, they're over there teaching, well, they've been experiencing shutdown since January. Um, but you, they, guess what, guys, they could still go to the grocery store and buy things, no need to rush out and hoard. Just have to throw that in. Um <laughs> Guess not. I mean, now, I mean, it's 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 a little upsetting. I mean, let me take a little side trip here. Um, you know, there are people in need. There are elderly people um, in need. There are people who have not been able to get to the store who now cannot get toilet paper. You know, and knowing that there are people who are sitting on like five 24 roll packs of toilet paper it's you know it, it it's really upsetting and you know i want to give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they didn't know that even if there's a shelter in place like what the the san francisco bay area is experiencing that the stores are still going to be open there was no need to go out and rush and clear out the shelves none whatsoever um, but anyway, I digress. Um, so, you know, so they've been, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I'm getting off my soapbox now. That's all right. So, That's all right. It's a good soapbox. So, <laughs> so, so they've been, they've been under this for a couple of months now, um, you know, to, having to, you know, do instructions online with their students. And I think there was a, a situation where spring break was canceled or was extended. So they decided to kind of break up the monotony because everything's closed and decided to go to Japan for a week just to hang out, have fun, you know. Well, when they came back, they were whisked off to a hotel for and are quarantined for 14 days oh. in a hotel room where they can't leave. They even have to have their food brought to oh, them. Oh, man. 
So, if there's any consolation, they are just over the halfway point. So, I think it's next Wednesday or Thursday they'll be released. My um, goodness. Because it does feel like prison because they even have – yeah, somebody has to even bring the food to them. Wow. The hotel personnel bring the food to them. So, um, so if it's any consolation, <laughs> that's what they are yeah. doing Oh, right that now. sounds brutal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's – these are, are measures that seem so draconian, but I was just reading today the concern that if we don't really take seriously social distancing, if we don't really take seriously quarantines, and um, if we can't figure out the testing, and, and by the time this episode airs, maybe we have figured out how to get more testing I hope, out there. I and pray. Stuff. I, I, pray I, so. I certainly hope and pray that's the case. But, you know, we are. there are scientists who are saying that this thing can live out there for a year. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we have fundamentally shifted now as a society because of this virus it's it's profound and there will be some who will be very critical and will say well this is overblown this is hysteria this is media driven Um, we don't need to be taking such drastic measures but the reason that we take such drastic measures is something we touched on a couple weeks ago when we did our coronavirus episode um there are vulnerable people out there who can really be hurt and killed by this virus. Now, a lot of us who are um, not 70 plus do not have the same kind of um, mortality rate as our sisters and brothers who are older. But we do need to make sure we're caring for vulnerable populations. And, And this gets us into a topic that we were already planning on talking about. Um, As we are weighing these political paradigms and these positions and the biblical data that undergird our political perspectives, we were going to talk about vulnerable populations. I think we just are are living in a moment right now where we are seeing um, explicit examples of what can happen when we don't care for those who are vulnerable. Right. And, and, and certainly, and this is what I'm reading about what's going on in Italy um, and, you know, why we see the death rate the way it is, is because Italy has an older population and with an older population also comes other underlying health issues. Um, so you compound. So when, you know, when the virus hits, you know, someone who's elderly that already has a condition, well, you know, then their then their life really is in jeopardy. Well, and and when we think about how we ought to care for those who are vulnerable to something like a virus, mm-hmm. it does impact um, not just policy decisions, but actually um, kind of social decisions that we will make as citizens in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I am self-quarantined, um, not because I'm sick. I, I have no symptoms, um, but I, I've made a conscious decision to self-quarantine because I was traveling a few days ago. Um, you know, this, this episode is being recorded fresh off, the, um, off a trip I made to Israel. I spent about 10 days traveling with some folks from our church. And, um, you know, praise the Lord when this episode airs, my self-quarantine will be over. But um, 
The reason I've chosen self-quarantine is there are older folks in the church. There are people who mm-hmm. um, are in our church who have compromised immune systems or who are dealing with, you know, recovering from surgeries and all that kind of thing. I am willing to give up some of my freedoms mm-hmm. and my quote-unquote rights for the good of my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And if we look at what it means to care for vulnerable populations, that's what it means. It's a form of neighbor love. How do I care for my neighbor, even if it means giving up some of my um, comforts or my freedoms for the sake of the other? Um, But not everybody likes hearing language like that. No. And it's been particularly disturbing watching, you know, um, instances where, you know, of, of young folks in bars. And I understand, look, you know, you're young, you know that the... Um, most of the people who would contract this virus would show, you know, mild to moderate symptoms. They'll probably recover. Um, but that's where, you know, we really have to weigh what you're saying. And particularly as Christians, right? In the vein of Philippians 2, 3. Be more concerned. Look out for the interest of the other. Consider them more important than yourself. You know, and so even though, yes, I can probably go, you know, to a restaurant, although, you know, all the restaurants here, the dining areas are closed. So we're, you know, relying on takeout and drive through. So Mm -hmm. that's right. (laughs) Um, So even though, you know, I may be okay, you know, and and I've even seen criticisms of school closings. Like, why, why are we like children are not susceptible? Yes, but children probably, you know, they might go home to a grandparent and that's the concern and so you're right that you know when 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 we apply philippians 2 3 that means you know i i really need to think about how my actions might impact the other and this is why i've been so it's been so disturbing to me about the hoarding you know and clearing out the um you know, the shelves of essential needs. I've seen, you know, articles, I've seen, you know, pictures just this morning. You know, there was an article and the, the, the visual was this, you know, a very elderly man in an empty aisle where paper goods were, you know, and just being, you know, and thinking about like, do I, do I really need this? Um, because there are other, there are other folks who probably need it more. The, the inability to think beyond your own needs or your own desires is something that um, we, we almost treat as a value in the United mm-hmm. t- States sometimes. You know, it's this idea of I get to do what I want to do and nobody gets to tell me anything different. Um, I'm not convinced that's an American value. Um, although there are I many, <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe then maybe this is me being more idealistic and and West Wing lover. I do think that built into the United States ethos is um, a care for your neighbor, um, but uh, it's it's definitely not lived out. It definitely mm-hmm. is a, a kind of a dog eat dog. I do what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. mentality, a very libertarian mentality. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes that shows up to be, you know, in lifestyles that we can easily condemn. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes it masks itself as just the American way of life. Yes. And when you inject panic into that kind of a um, worldview and value system, then you see these kinds of things like hoarding. Then you yes. see people being like, you know what? I live for just me anyway. Well, then I'm definitely not going to care about the needs of others when there's a crisis situation going on. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and I think it's just the beginning because I think that um, while there are people who are vulnerable health-wise, we are looking at major economic strain. Um, I don't think it's too far to say that we might be looking at economic catastrophe and there are going to be many people who are economically vulnerable um, due to this virus. Yeah, I mean, you know, my son, for instance, is in that boat. He works, He's a, you know, he's in college. He works at a, um, you know, one of these theaters where they have the dine-in options, and they're temporarily closed. I am hearing of hourly workers who are being laid off because they're, you know, the business had to close, um, and rather than, for whatever reason, the employer is making the decision to cut personnel now. I'm hoping that he's not in that position, but yeah, if you are in you know, if you're in an hourly, you know, position, and in his case, he earns a, you know, he earns his money on tips. So even if he, even if his employer were to pay him, that really wouldn't help him because he makes his money on tips. So, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, we talk about the employment that before this hit, you know, yes, we had a pretty good, pretty low unemployment rate. But that doesn't really account for, you know, the folks that are working maybe two or three jobs that, uh, you know, at at an hourly rate so they can make ends meet. Um, And now those are the folks that, you know, whose lives are being disrupted. You know, we're we're fine over here. Both my husband and myself were on salary. Um, You know, for me, it hits a little harder because I work for nonprofits, so you know, in terms of asking people for money, that's going to be, that's going to be really challenging. Um, But that's, that's the, you know, that's the life of nonprofits. But we're fine. But for the, you know, for the person who, you know, is making minimum or even, you know, maybe a little bit above minimum wage, but they're hourly and their jobs are, you know, really on the line right now. Well, and, and, you know, um, I was just talking to my wife the other day. Um, she waited tables for years and years and years. And, um, you know, we have friends who, who still wait tables. There's We have one friend who, um, single mom, works two jobs, works hard, cares for a kid, but in, in the food industry. Well, now she's out of work. H- how are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to make sure you have food on your table for your family? Um you know, these, these are serious situations on the phone with another friend. Um, and the, their business is shot. You know, they've had to lay off everybody and, and they're basically going under now because of this. And we're only a couple weeks in. Um, we, we are heading into an economic situation that, um, you know, these 20s might look like the 1920s um, economically. We're, we're looking in, 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 in 30s, yeah. yeah. We're, we're looking into some um, bad situations. 
Yeah. And so do you do you think because you know one of the um, you know just in terms of where we lean politically, um, you know, so now I think there there is a general consensus. Seems to be a bipartisan consensus um, regarding this. Well, it's called an economic stimulus package, but let's call it what it is. It's an aid package because that's that's what's needed. Because listen, you have and and really this shutdown really shows how the layers of reliance in industry. Um, and so one thing goes down, it's like everything shuts down. It's un, it's really unsustainable over a certain period of time. So I know that, you know, folks that are on my side of the fence, you know, that lean conservative, like when I saw that one trillion, like, Whoa, whoa, that's, <laughs> you know, some libertarians are kind of jumping out of their skin oh, right now. man, I can't imagine um, what, you know, Paul Ryan and them are doing. They, they got to be freaking out. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, so it's a little disconcerting to have, you know, we already had a pretty massive debt. And to add on to that because of this, but it's one of those situations where it's like, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's fascinating. Um, you know, universal basic income was Andrew Yang's entire platform, yes. and now we have President Trump, um, you know, really pushing an aid package that is effectively mm-hmm. Andrew Yang's package. It's right. it's fascinating how um, you know a virus can shift things. And, and the, the challenge, at least today when we're recording, that President Trump is running into is with a Republican Senate who is not all that thrilled with the idea of, um, you know, a, a trillion dollar uh, aid package. You know, th- what, what this has done is it has shown uh, some of the divides in the country that already existed that we don't really talk. We talk about a lot about the racial divide. Um, but this has shown there's generational divide. Um, yes. the, um, like we've been talking about kind of the, the disregard for the elderly, but this is also highlighting a class divide that has existed in this country for a long time, but that we don't talk about. We have a lot of people who are very dependent on tips, um, entire industries that are very dependent on us being together. I mean, listen, I, I, I am a pastor. And, you know, I am blessed to serve a church with a handful of other pastors. And so we're all going through this together. But we're trying to figure out what does it look like to pastor folks when you can't get together for worship? Um, Still, we are prayerfully optimistic that we won't see any major layoffs necessarily. But there are other companies, you know, I mean, the movie industry is asking for a bailout from Washington because everything just ground to a halt. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a, I don't know the answer. Can we keep pumping trillions of dollars into the economy to keep us afloat? Eventually, (laughs) I mean, eventually there's just no trillions left. Um, I'm not sure. We need strong safety nets. We need strong, um, you know, this is, where those of us who lean left were saying, you know, this is why we were looking for, um, you know, like universal health care and stuff like that to make sure that people aren't wondering, can I go get checked out to see if I have the coronavirus? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, am I allowed to do that? Or is my insurance going to cover that? These are questions that we never want people to have to ask. 
Um, but there does come a tipping point where the the social safety net becomes untenable, and that's what's terrifying about this, is if this thing drags out for months and months, I, I don't know how we survive that economically. Yeah, I, I don't either. But, you know, you raise an interesting point in terms of, you know, now we're seeing that, you know, with these with this, this temporary aid, how, it, you know, it, it is designed to take care of the, you know, the, the little guy, the, you know, the hourly worker. Um, but it also makes me question, and, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, that I've changed in my politics, but it also makes me question, you know, if we can do this now, you know, and, 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 and granted, there's, you know, there's going to be, an exchange of something else in terms of the repercussion of, you know, adding to the national debt, then, you know, I, I, I put, you know, I'll put, I'll put my, you know, step into the shoes of my progressive brother and sister. And I'm thinking, you know, gosh, they got to be asking the question, if we can do this now, why couldn't we have done it all, all along? I mean, to me, that's just a logical question. I mean, it's logical to me, you know, for those of us who have been clamoring for some of these more progressive policies, what this crisis has shown is that, yeah, we do have some of the capability for this, but it's a give and take. And and that's really where it comes down to. If we move in this direction, that money's got to come from somewhere else. You can't bail out the poor and bail out Hollywood. We might have to be willing to allow some industries to simply fail. And, you know, I love, I am a movie and TV holic. I love mm. this stuff. I, my, my, I am not one who's like, oh, I could just kind of live without. My thing is I have to make sure I limit myself because I love it so much. But maybe we don't bail out movie studios. You know, like, like I, I think... What this is going to do is going to force us to consider our priorities. Are we going to prioritize the vulnerable and the poor, or are we going to prioritize the rich? And and part of the concern about bailouts in the past is that bailouts have gone to large corporations. They've not gone to the individual. They've not gone to the poor. They've gone to the CEO and the boards, and then they decide how they're going to deal with the bailout money, and hopefully the poor get some of the scraps. What's interesting about this approach is it is predominantly money going into the pockets of everyday Americans. The question is, can we do that and also bail out an airline right. company? Like, it's hard. It's, these, these are hard conversations. I'm not saying it's easy, but, mm -hmm. but it is going to – it's a question of priorities for us. Right. And it's, you know, and, and it's also a question of productivity, and I know that there is a concern for, so, you know, so let's say you, you know, you, you um, give aid to a corporation. Um, you know, this comes in line with, you know, where we give um, produce subsidies, you know, subsidies to farmers. Because those farmers generate um, produce that the nation needs you know, and they survive off of the, you know, the exchange of goods and, goods and services. And so there's this question of, well, if, you know, if there's an industry like the airline industry, 
Um, oh, God, what happens if the airline industry folds? Just think about oh, the, the enterprise, the business. And, and when we talk about, you know, it, it's easy, especially if you're, you know, if you're more on the other side of the fence, if you're more on, you know, the progressive side and, you know, you kind of, you know, squawk at capitalism. I'm not saying you do, sure, but, sure. you know, maybe a little bit. Um, a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, but it's like, oh, we're bailing out the rich. And I think of it in different terms. I think of it in terms of these are economic engines that, you know, that provide that ultimately provide jobs. So if that shuts down and that's what we're seeing now and that's the concern, you know, if that engine shuts down, then where are the jobs? Where's the where's the exchange of goods and services? Um, you know, that's when we start running into problems. So I, you know, and I would say I'm, you know, I am not in favor of corporate bailouts, but I also think it depends on the industry too. You know, I'm much more inclined to help, you know, if there's help for transportation, then the move, you know, as much as like you, as much as I love movies, you know, and I'm in a position now where, you know, working in the arts and culture world, now, I was on a call um, a few days ago with all the arts, arts and many of the arts and culture leaders here, and there are some that have had to cancel seasons, you know, and they're, they, and as a consequence, mm-hmm. you you know, they, they took a financial hit oh, yeah. to have, you know, to have to do that. Um, we're just in a position of looking at, you know, when is our festival <laughs> We have a big festival once a year. It's supposed to happen in May. We don't think it's going to happen in May. Mm. So looking at alternate dates, and, mm-hmm. and still, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, I was kind of in fundraising mode. That's kind of grind, you know, ground to a halt because you just I'm not going to ask anybody for money right now. But there are industries that are taking hits, and in and these industries provide jobs. Oh, absolutely, they do, and and. You know, I, I, I mentioned the movie industry, but there's two there's two aspects of the movie industry that we also need to acknowledge. One, it's a major export. Entertainment mm-hmm. is a massive export. When you think about um, some of these big tentpole movies, the majority of their money is made in places like China, um, where they rake in mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and that money's coming back into the U.S. And so, you know, there is, um, it is a major export. It's also a major employer. You know, I mean, yeah. the majority yeah. of the people who work in the movie industry are not the Brad Pitts of the world. They're the gaffers and the set designers and, you know, films employ hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is a it, it's not easy to let an industry die, because if you do, you're looking at a major unemployment problem there. It, it It's it is a difficult thing to figure out because as much as you need the engine, you also need the fuel for the engine and the fuel for the engine is the consumer. If people don't have the money to put into the, into the product, then you can have the greatest product in the world. Ain't nobody can be able to buy it. And and this, this becomes really, really difficult, right? Are we going to bail out the engine? Are we going to bail out the fuel? How do we do both? Um, then you end up with a trillion dollar aid package <laughs> and because they're trying to do both. And, um, and that becomes difficult for us then as Christians, I think, to sit back and look at all of this debate and all this conversation and say, okay, how, what should I think about this? Um, and I think what it comes down to for me 
we are called over and over and over again in Scripture. We're going to get into this next week. We're going to get into more of the actual biblical texts and broaden the conversation out of the coronavirus crisis. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the things that we have to care for is we have to care for the vulnerable. That comes first. Now, how we care for the vulnerable? Do we care for the... Um, do we do we make sure the engine is running well, therefore the engine can employ folks? Or do we give the money to the people who are the fuel for the engine? Um, I don't know. I mean, that makes you a conservative or a, or a progressive, right? It, well, <laughs> and you know which way I lean. So, uh, and you, know, you, and I admit, you listen, I've worked in human services for over 20 years. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that was with homeless services. Um, and I can tell you that the, you know, the successful programs were the ones that really helped people account. One, recognized where the barriers were address the barriers, but also help people accountable that, you know, the push was not for so the push was always for self-sufficiency and whatever state that is, because listen, there are some folks out there that have disabilities. You know, there are some folks that are impaired from, from working, you know, full-time or productive jobs. But listen, even that, even, you know, there are programs what's called um, supportive employment programs. And so these are folks that have uh, developmental disabilities, but there are, you know, there are some very creative um, folks out there that determine that, you know, what to what capacity can they be productive? And let's put them, let's put them to work. I know, you know, it's interesting. I noticed that um, in our local Kroger's here, or at least the ones that I shop at, there's really only two food chains here, Kroger's and Food Lion and you know, Kroger is pretty much, pretty much it. But I've noticed that the sort of the three Kroger's that I rotate around, all of them, they have employed, you know, and it, it is pretty obvious people who, you know, individuals that have developmental disabilities at some levels, which I think is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. and it helps me from getting a little frustrated when they're moving a little slow. Right. But the fact that, you know, you have this employer, you know, who is, um, you know, making room for who we would consider vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's really, I, I think that that's really, and it's not just one program. You know, it's a few of them. Right. So that means um, it makes you wonder if that's like a company-wide decision. This is an, a value of ours and we're going to put our money where our mouth is and make sure we're employing folks who are in vulnerable populations. Yeah. And we know that not, you know, and listen, we know that not all, that's not a prevalent corporate mindset. You know, in some industries it's non-existent. You know, it's, it's almost like a, um, in some industries it's almost like a Darwinian mentality, you know, survival of the fittest. Um, so, you know, so we have to acknowledge that. Um, but at the same time, I, but my whole point was, you know, having worked in human services and seeing the difference between, um, you know, encouraging self-sufficiency, encouraging accountability, taking account for what a person is actually capable of, you know, and, you know, versus kind of fostering. I think one of the concerns on my side of the aisle for those who are who lean conservative, one of the one of the main concerns is, oh, gosh, if we, you know, it, it, it stifles um, it stifles motivation. It stifles like if I can just get a check from the government, then what incentive 
do I have to go out and be productive? And sure, there's, you know, there's going to be a subpopulation like that. And so the, so the, the decision is always, you know, it's not so much, oh gosh, we want to hurt these people, but how do you, how do you reward productivity? How do you maximize that? How do you optimize it? And that's really where a lot of conservatives are coming from. Um, in this conversation. Yeah, sure. There are some, there's a subset who really couldn't give a rip about, you know, about, you know, vulnerable populations, but there are others are saying, you know, what is, what is ultimately the best way to, you know, to optimize um, productivity? Well, and I think, you know, those of us who lean progressive, we're asking a very similar question. We're just asking questions of different people. Um, you know, I mean, Kroger is getting a lot of free press from us right now. Um, but, you know, <laughs> when Kroger does something like um, intentionally hire people from vulnerable populations, that's wonderful. How are we incentivizing that? How are we making sure um, that they are getting, you know, more tax breaks or whatever is needed to encourage people in that direction? And how are we holding accountable those who are exploiting folks and not caring for vulnerable populations? How are we holding accountable corporations who misuse their funds and then turn around and ask the public to help them out? You know, I think this is why there's such a bad taste in our mouths whenever we think of bailouts is because of 2008. Because you had a bunch of corporations who acted, um, you know, they acted a fool. And then we bailed them out for their malfeasance. And and I think that's where it, it, it really is like, listen, I understand that corporations are economic engines. But if they prey on the poor and they prey on the vulnerable, then they need to be held accountable and, and that's why I think you're, you're hearing a lot of progressives saying, hey, where's the regulation? Where's the follow-up? How are we making sure that companies are acting appropriately? How are we incentivizing good behavior and decentivizing bad behavior among corporations and, and CEOs and boards? And, and while that regulation um, does slow down a little bit of productivity, it's worth it if it's caring for the poor and the vulnerable. Um, at least that's how progressives would lean. And we say, listen, we, we, we want to make sure that we are caring for the poor and the vulnerable here economically by holding corporations accountable. And we didn't see that in 2008. And now that we're sitting here in 2020 and the coronavirus thing is happening and we're hearing language of bailouts of major corporations, th there is a little bit of a, again, we're doing this again, like the, the poor, are the ones who are unemployed. Right. You know, the, 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 the class divide of those who are relying on, you know, on tips and, and that whole industry of folks relying on tips, um, they're the ones who are hurting. How are we making sure that they're able to meet their obligations, even if it means maybe um, there's less going to the corporations? Yeah. And let's not forget about the small and medium sized businesses. You know, the small business, um, you know, there was a, I just saw today, because a number of the, you know, take, you, you know, restaurants, over-the-counter, sit-in, you know, dine-in places, take, um, fast food places are now, you know, you it's, a, it's takeout only. Right. Um, so right. you order ahead, you know, take it out. Well, I noticed that, um, so there was this little mom-and-pop soul food joint that opened up close to my job. Um, and so I saw the closed sign. On the door and I you know my first thought was yeah I don't think they're gonna make it you know they just opened 
they don't, I don't know if they've had the presence in the community long enough where people think ahead or if they even have the capacity to just do takeout only. As, whereas, you know, like the Zoe's Kitchen or Chipotle or Firehouse Subs, you know, they have that capacity. People know who they are. Um, but when I saw that close sign on the door as I drove past it, I, you know, my first thought was like, they're not going to make it. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole lot. Of places like that, the mom and pop, and, no being, and as you know, I work because my, you know, my job, I, you know, um, work with um, different ethnicities, you know, people from different countries, and so there are, and that, and that really is the, um, you know, how the immigrant, a lot of immigrants come to this country and they open up the mom and pop yes. stores, um, and so what do you know? What do they do if you know if their business slows? Right. Um, but a lot of folks are in this. So it's not just the corporations. You know, what are these small business owners going to do? Right. And where does then the stimulus money go? Where does the, you know, are we bailing out that small soul food kitchen? Or are we bailing out uh, a major corporation? Now, I understand that major corporations employ a lot of people, but the great, I'm going to sound like a politician, but the great economic <laughs> engine <laughs> of the United States is the small business. Small businesses employ so many people, and they are the ones who are getting taken out by something like coronavirus. Yeah. And and so, again, th this... This gets us into where is the money going to go? Economic justice is a part of how we care for vulnerable populations. And, and I mean, you can't really talk about caring for vulnerable populations until you get into the economics of things. Um, economics, and, and people will disagree with me on this uh, perhaps, but, but economics is a justice issue and is a biblical issue. Economics mm. is not divorced from scripture. How we view economics is is a Christian stewardship issue. Now, we can have disagreement within that and not be in sin, but we dare not think, oh, well, that's just politics, that's just society, that's just economics. No, that's, that's the faith. There's economic um, things that we have to deal with, and, and the biblical, uh, I guess, the, the biblical exhortations to care for the poor are... Um, predominantly economic and and often have a spiritual dimension but are often they're economic in in their language and so um you know we're going to continue this conversation next week and we're going to dive into some of the texts and we're gonna we're gonna keep going i think what listeners may have heard is that even when we talk about care for vulnerable populations both you and i are are wanting to see the government care for vulnerable populations but we have different ways that we think the government should go about that caring. And, yes. uh, and again, yes. same goal, just different means. And that different means is going to have us voting in different directions. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't care about the poor. <laughs> right, That's exactly. important. Because some people, you know, look, because some people don't. And, and let's just right. be honest about that. But for those of us who do, you know, who, you know, who lean conservative, who, you know, vote Republican... We're not saying, oh, gosh, we have, you know, we have no concern for the poor. That's, you know, let's not make those kind of hasty assessments. Right, right. So next week we'll continue the conversation, but I think that's good for today. Um, we are continuing to pray for folks who may be dealing with the repercussions of coronavirus. Um, we are praying for those who have lost jobs. We are praying for those who are all vulnerable. 
Um, this has been a sobering time for all of us. Uh, I know over the last couple of weeks, you've heard episodes. They were they were recorded before all of this happened. Um, but really, we, we want you to know we have not forgotten. We are praying, um, and and we are praying and, and, and seeking the face of the Lord. Would this come to an end? We want to see the end of this virus. We want to see things come back to normal for us. So uh, we know that you're praying along with us as well. We thank you for that. We thank you for listening today. Hope to see you next time for our next episode of Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.